James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this evening, Lord, we have come here to seek you and to know what it is that you have for your church, for your people. So Lord, we're a few tonight, but we are strong because we're trusting in you. And Lord, I believe that you have a word for us that will inspire us and move us in a new direction in this new season, Lord, so that we can confront our trials head on and realize, Lord, that you don't allow anything to happen to us that you wouldn't have to refine us, that you wouldn't have to cause us to have a deeper appreciation of you. And so, Lord, as we seek those things tonight, we pray that we would find you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember how small your worries were when you were a child? How insignificant your cares were. You know, the greatest and biggest worry on your mind was whether you're going to get a Furby for Christmas. Some of you guys remember Furbies. Yes. My generation was the Tickle Me Elmo. But I was, I was a very worried child when I was little. I worried about a lot of things. I used to pray because I was, uh, for my food because I was afraid my food would be poisoned. I remember growing up as a Christian boy, I was always afraid that my parents got raptured. So when I, w- when I wake up in the morning and I couldn't find my parents, I'd immediately start freaking out. And, yeah, where are they? Like looking for their clothes and seeing if there's any remnants of my parents. I remember uh, I used to, well, my sister went to Timothy Christian School and I was, I don't know, four years old and my, my brother was only an infant. And my mom would leave us in the car alone while she went to go pick up my sister. <laughs> and my brother was always sleeping. So I would walk over to my brother while my mom's, you know, picking up my sister. And I thought he died, like numerous occasions. So I'd always open up his eyelids just to see if he was still alive. <laughs> and then I'd see his eyes going like, yeah. And I was like, okay, he's alive. But my mom would see me doing this. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm making sure he's still alive. I remember, um, I mean, I, even to this day, I, was, I always check expiration dates. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like something bad's going to happen if you drink expired milk or you eat expired foods. And all throughout my life, I've always checked the expiration dates until Andy Dean made fun of me at a retreat for checking the expiration dates, like, for every single thing. Like, there's expired Reese's at the retreat center. Not the one we're going to, but... Is expired Reese's. And then and he's like, no one dies of expiration. And I was like, my grandfather died of expiration. <laughs> so as a child, the point is this. As a child, our concerns seem so big, but as you mature, they seem less and less significant, right? And for those who trust in Jesus, that's exactly how our current trials will feel against the backdrop of eternity. The more that you know Jesus, 
And the more you grow in Jesus, the more insignificant the cares of this world and the worries that we have will seem when it's put against the backdrop of eternity. Now notice in James, it doesn't say, if you fall into trials, this is what you should do. It says, when you fall into trials. And it would seem that for the Christian, that we should go through less trials, not more. But in this case, it seems like it's a given as being part of the Christian church, as part of being of the body of Christ, you go through suffering and you go through trials. And so people ask, where is God when we're going through those trials? People would say, I thought when I accept Jesus, life would get easier. What happened to God has a plan for you and he wants to prosper you? What happened to all those promises? And moreover, how can God cause his own children to suffer? The problem only gets more difficult when you think about that we are God's beloved children. How could a loving God allow his beloved children to go through suffering, to go through depression, to go through anxiety, to go through family difficulties, or to deal with rejection? How can God allow those things to happen in our lives? And when they happen, it's hard to cope with those things. God, are, do you still love me? Are you punishing me? What are you doing at this stage of my life? Or maybe you're not afflicted so much with uh, hardships, but more so with temptations. Maybe that's the trial that you're going through. And you think, why do I keep feeling this way? Or how come I'm even tempted by this thing? And you're appalled by uh, your propensity to fall into temptation. But here, when it says, when you fall into various trials, the word is actually talking about both afflictions and temptations. The trials of temptation as well. And it would seem that he's saying, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The temptation and the affliction. So how do you do that? How do you count it all joy when you enter in various trials? Does that mean you just rejoice? Like, oh yeah, it's great. This is an awesome thing. I'm afflicted, got in a car accident. This is great. Is that how we react to trials? Or temptations for that matter? Do we start shouting praises as soon as we're tempted? Yes, finally able to covet my neighbor's oxen. Never did that one yet. That doesn't seem to be the way that we are to address the problem, but at the face value, that seems to be what James is saying. He seems to be saying that trials are actually a good thing, but they don't often feel that way. Trials seem to be a thing that we can rejoice over, but at the same time, they often don't feel that way. Instead, they seem on top of the trial itself and the difficulty that you go through, it often brings isolation and discouragement, not joy. Isolation, because have you ever gone through a trial and you thought no one understands what I'm going through? Have you ever said that before? Have you ever said to someone else, you wouldn't last a day in my shoes. You don't understand. Even when you tell them the problem, you don't understand what it's like to be me. Have you ever said that before? It's because the trial brings isolation. And we all deal with it in different ways. When I was... In high school, I dealt through uh, a lot of my frustrations through music. And that's actually what brought me into screaming music because I could get out my frustrations in screaming. And that was my outlet. So I felt like that was the full expression of everything I was feeling inside is to 
scream it out, in other words. And it's funny because then my mom, all throughout the way, she'd be like, oh, you're getting better at your screaming. Like my funny Japanese mom, she's so nice. And I was like, I know for a fact you're not, you're not being honest when you tell me I'm getting better at screaming, but that's a nice, nice thought, I guess. So the important thing to remember when you're in those times of isolation is that you're not the only one. You're not the only one going through that trial. And it's so easy to feel like that. It's so easy to feel like God himself doesn't understand what you're going through. But the Bible will remind us in 1 Peter 5, 7 through 9, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. So our Christian brothers are going through the same sufferings and it's the devil's job to make you feel like you're the only one that no one understands and that you won't ever be understood by anyone else and you're going to die in that suffering alone. But when we look at Jesus, we know that it's he that overcomes and uses other people in our life to bring us back to himself. The other thing is discouragement. Through the trial, we often feel the weight of the trial. We feel isolation and we feel discouraged. We'll feel like the trial itself is punishment from God. And we see that in the book of Job, right? There's a righteous man who has all of these afflictions thrown on him all at once. He loses his family. He gets boils all over his body. He didn't ask for any of this. He loses all of his possessions and he asks why. He didn't do anything wrong. But remember what his friend said. Wow, you must have done some terrible sin to cause all of this to happen. Why else would this happen to you? You ever look at a friend who's going through a hard time and you're like, wow, God is finally punishing them for their sin. And sometimes we feel that same way for ourselves. Is this trial from God to punish me for my rebellion against him? Well, no. That's not how the Bible describes suffering. It says in 1 Peter 5.10, in his kindness, God has called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. So it would seem that trials for God's children are actually good. But how? How are they good? Well, the whole point of today's sermon is to teach you and tell you that trials refine you. That trials refine you. This uh, statement here, if you look at verse 4, it says, patience, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's through this testing of your faith that it produces patience. And that producing, the imagery there is refining, like silver. What silver has to, to do to be refined into pure silver is it has to go through the fire so that all the impurities are brought to the surface and left out. So that whole silver piece can be pure silver. In the same way, we have to be put under the, the fire of trials to be refined as Christians. And the patience that it talks about here, that the testing of your faith produces patience, you're refined and you become patient, isn't talking about a passive patience. This isn't talking about just a simple waiting. It describes a fortitude, meaning that you'll be able to withstand anything. That's the type of patience it's talking about. Let me give you an example. 
There's a rock climber named Tommy Caldwell. He's a famous rock climber. And I had to use a rock climbing example because that's what I do. And so I was walking a watching a documentary on him the other day. And it's really interesting because it kind of just worked in just the way that it should, I guess. But so here's this rock climber and he's talking about um, how he's able to scale these large walls in Yosemite, uh, thousands of feet tall. They're so big that you actually have to sleep on the side of a cliff by mounting a tent. You're just a flimsy old tent and you like pitch it into the wall and you sleep on the side of a cliff. That's pretty scary. So they're asking him, how did he develop this fortitude? How did he develop this calmness when he's up on those big walls in, in crazy weather with winter storms while he's up on these big walls? And he said, he shared a story of, of how back when he was first starting to get into climbing and, and traveling as a pro climber around the world, he got captured by Islamic terrorists in Kyrgyzstan. And for six days, he went without food and water as he had to beat someone up and, and, and escape. And he was six days in the desert without food and water, thinking that he would never escape. And he did escape. And he said, after that experience, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I think I can withstand anything. I can, I can last on a wall. I can last in, in terrible uh, weather. I can last without feeling my toes because I know what it's like to truly suffer. And in the same way, when you go through the deep sufferings, it builds a fortitude within you that you're, with, you're able to withstand whatever the enemy has against you. A.W. Tozer once said, it is doubtful that God ever used anybody greatly without first hurting him deeply. So how does it refine us? And I'll give you three ways. The first way on how our trials refine us is that it creates a distaste for sin. Trials create a distaste for sin. What I mean by that is you're able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. When he tries to tempt you with things, you're able to withstand because you have that fortitude within you. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. So when you're going through that trial, you see the depravity of your sin and other people's sin and you want nothing to do with it. It's like a family, maybe you're a student here and you've seen the effects of alcohol on your parents or a family member. And you see how it tears apart the family and you don't want anything to do with alcohol. It's that same kind of distaste you have for sin because you see its effects. So you see that trial and how much it puts that weight on you and it puts your, that weight on others and you're able to say, I don't want anything to do with this thing because I know how much destruction it does. When people treat you terribly and you're going through that trial where people are abusing you or, or calling you names, you have a deeper compassion for other people and you're, you're not so quick to judge other people. You're not so quick to say nasty things about other people or gossip about other people because you know what it's like for you yourself to go through that pain. So that's the first way. It causes a distaste for sin. Secondly, sadness causes us to reevaluate our life. Sadness causes us to reevaluate our life. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2 through 4 it says, better to spend your time 
at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. When there's pain in your body, it tells you that there's something wrong with your body. When you have a toothache, it tells you you should go to the dentist. When you have a stomachache, it tells you you should go to the doctor. When there's pain in the world, it tells you there is something wrong with the world that we live in. The question is, what do you do with that trial that's before you? You can let it make you bitter and you say, I hate this. I hate all the things that have to do with this. Or you can let it make you better and refine you. But you can't let it make you butter. That doesn't work. It's my favorite thing to say because that's like a popular thing people will say is like, trials make you bitter or better, but they can't make you butter. It's my little thing there. You can steal it if you want. So we can't allow the trials to define us. And this, this is a really important point because so many times we'll go through a trial and we'll allow it to dictate where our life leads. We'll say, I've had a hard childhood and that's why I, I act in the way that I do. Maybe some of you would say, I was abused and that's why my life is messed up. You know, my family doesn't treat me in the way that I should have been. And now I have to act in this way. My friends don't treat me in the way that I should. And now I have to act in this way. But as crazy as it sounds, let me tell you this. God is not limited by the power of sin. God is not limited by the power of sin. It doesn't matter what people throw at you, how people treat you. God is able to bring good out of evil. God is not limited by the power of evil. He's not limited by death itself. You kill him and he rises again. It doesn't matter what you throw at Jesus. He will always take a broken vessel and recreate it into a work of art. He has a plan for you and he has works that he wants you to walk into. Alistair Begg says, we mustn't allow our circumstances and disappointments to become the excuse for the choices we make in life. God is greater than all of that and he can bring beauty out of ashes. Our trials come, Augustine said, to prove us and to improve us. So circumstances that render us helpless leave us with no choice but to just wait on the Lord. The circumstances that leave you helpless, they give you no choice. You don't have any options. So you're left to wait on the Lord. And that's our third point, which is it causes us to depend on Jesus. Trials cause us to depend on Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, Paul says, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, you know what he said? He said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I, that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
You see, the trial causes you to realize that you can't deal with it on your own. You trust in the things of this world and it's going to fail you. It leaves you with no other option than to depend on the one true God who can solve your problems. And there's so many times that in my own personal life, I've had difficulties and I have had anxieties that I thought I could never overcome. Like Paul, I prayed so many times, Lord, take away this anxiety because it's crippling me. How can I lead people if I'm always depressed? How can I lead people if I'm always anxious, if I'm always scared? If there's certain things that are keeping me back medically, how can I ever be useful in the kingdom of God? If people always reject me, how will I ever be used in the kingdom of God if people don't even want to listen to me? How will I be used in the kingdom of God if I couldn't even look my professor in the eye? There came a point in my life where I was at school and I couldn't even make eye contact with anybody because I was just so discouraged and I was so filled with anxiety. And I prayed so many times, Lord, take this away. I can't deal with this anymore. I'd have panic, panic attacks all the time. I share this with some of you, and some of you know my story. I was just crippled to this point where I felt like I was just going to be locked up in an insane asylum for the rest of my life. How does God use someone who's stuck in a house for the rest of his life and doesn't even leave it? How can God bring something out of that? So I was forced to trust in Jesus, and now I see that God let me go through that trial and all those times of me praying and begging. And the worst thing is when you pray and it doesn't go away. And you ask God, why? Why don't you take this away? Don't you, is it because I don't have enough faith? Is it because I'm not Christian? Is it because I really don't believe in you? What is it? Why is this still here? If I'm a child of God, why am I going through this thing? And that's when God says, my power works best in weakness. You see, it's the trial itself that God uses to shape us and mold us so that I can be here with you guys right now. I probably wouldn't, no, I know for a fact I wouldn't be here right now if I didn't go through those trials. If God didn't allow me to go those things so I, I was shaped and molded and refined in the fire so that I would be able to talk to you today about trials. I never went through a trial. It'd be really hard for me to talk about them. It'd be very disconnected. Like, well, some people go through trials. I've never been through one, but uh, good luck. So it's only by the power of Jesus that I am here. And seeing that gives me more joy than anything could apart from that trial. And that's why I can rejoice in the trial that God has given me and the difficulties that he's given me because I see the fruit that's produced afterwards. So let me ask you a question. Where do you place your trust? Where do you place your trust when you're going through that trial, when you're going through that difficulty? People try to invest in things that will last forever. With their money, they'll invest in a bank and hope that it holds, or they'll invest in stocks, and they hope that it rises and it sells. They'll place their trust in a relationship and hope that it holds, and hopes that if they get married, everything will be okay. Some people, as Pastor Lloyd has pointed out on a Sunday, which I thought was really interesting, he talked about how the mark of the beast is going to be the thing that people find their security in. They're going to think, this is the only way I can survive, is by if I get the mark then I'll be able to buy and sell. But without it, I won't be able to survive. So the very thing they place their trust in is going to be the thing that destroys them. And it's only when you seek first the kingdom of God that everything else will be added unto you. No other thing. No other thing that you trust in is going to be able to hold the weight of your expectations. No other thing than God is going to be able to fulfill your dreams. 
As it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. And so finally, as we move into how do we count it all joy? What does that look like? How do we count it all joy? We've talked about how trials refine us, but we haven't talked about the joy part. And there's two ways that we can count it all joy that helps us to, to do that. And both of those ways are by refocusing. So two ways to refocus. The first way to count all joy is by refocusing our vision on eternity. By refocusing our vision on eternity. That's what Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I'll share it in when we have times of prayer sessions. When I go out in, you know, like youth workers conference or wherever and I'm just in a prayer circle and the Lord puts something in my heart. It's usually always this verse because it always speaks to people. It's the word of God. It's living and powerful. It says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. So here's the point he's trying to make. The longer we spend in eternity, the more minuscule the things of this life will be. That was the opening point I have for you guys today. Think about all of your problems right now. As, as big as they seem. All the trials you're going through. Think about how important they'll be in a billion years when you're in eternity with Jesus in heaven. A billion years. Can't even fathom that. Can't even imagine that. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend in eternity, we realize the things that we inherit in Jesus are so much more than any pain or suffering we could go through in this finite time here on the earth. You'll live a life of torture. And still when you inherit Jesus... It vastly outweighs anything we could uh, receive in terms of suffering here on the earth. We're not going to receive that because God has more planned for us than just those things. But even if we did endure that, those things, God has so much more planned for us in heaven. So we can have patience and we can wait for him. We can have that fortitude because we're waiting for Jesus' return. And no matter what happens in this life, we're going to inherit that gift. As, as long as we're persevering, we're pressing towards that goal, we're placing our trust in Jesus, we're going to inherit eternal life. And that should give us cause for great joy. No matter how powerful it seems that sin has a hold on you, it's only fading. This life is but a vapor and it'll soon be gone. And then Jesus will be with us in eternity. The second way that we can refocus to count all joy is by refocusing our vision on Jesus. It says earlier in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, Paul says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Excuse me death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. So here's an important point. We often wonder how can Jesus sympathize with our temptations? 
How is it that the God of universe can even understand what it's like to be me going through these struggles? How can the God of the universe understand the trials I am going through when, when there's so much pain and afflictions? But really, it's how could we ever understand what Jesus himself went through? The sufferings he endured. Realize that every sin that's committed against you, it's first committed against Jesus. And it's not just like one person sins against him, not even like a hundred. It's the entire sin of the world that was committed against Jesus. He died for every single sin that was ever committed and will be ever committed. And he takes all of that pain, all of that suffering upon himself. And if you don't believe that, you're saying that Jesus' death wasn't good enough. And the fact is, it was. It's only Jesus that was able to overcome our sin and the sins of others committed against us and that we can trust in him. So it's through suffering that we are able to identify with Jesus. Through suffering, we're able to understand what it's like for Jesus to go through that suffering. A little bit, a little taste. We understand his plans, his purposes, and his love for us. How can a God who is bearing the sins of the world love us so much after all that we've done for him, to him? But if you try to take that trial on yourself, on your own strength, it's going to fail. If you say, I, I got this, Jesus. I think I can go through this trial. It's going to make me a stronger person. You're going to fail. And when it does fail, what do you have? What's your backup plan? Your fortitude in yourself, your strength, your mental capacity, it's going to fail one day. It's only when we trust in a God who is able to come, overcome all sins, period, that we can gather the strength. Alvin Plantiga said, we don't know why God permits evil. We do know, however, that he was prepared to suffer on our behalf. To accept suffering of which we can form no conception. So here's the point. For Christians, we can count it all joy. Why? Because the pain that Jesus endured for us, the, the things that he did for us are so much more in comparison to any pain that we can endure. And pain that, uh, that we go through always has a reason behind it. Jesus always has a reason for why the things happen to us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 4, it says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So do you realize what that means? Because there's always a plan behind the suffering that you're enduring, not that God's just like poking holes at you because he, he wants to, but God is allowing those trials for our good, anytime that you say, my heart is overwhelmed, it's too much for me, you can say with David also, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In Psalm 62, or 61 rather. Anytime that you're overwhelmed, you're saying this is too much for me, you can look to the one who is the rock, who is fortitude. If you think, I can't walk this narrow path any longer. Maybe it's too difficult for you. The Christian life is just too difficult. Imagine it being like a tightrope, right? Like I was thinking about because I watch a lot of action movies and climbing stuff. You have two different cliffs and people tightrope and they'll walk this uh, tightrope from one cliff to another. A span of like 100 feet. It's insane. And people have like this little ankle bracelet so if they fall they can like catch themselves before they, they plummet to their death. But people do this and risk their lives doing that. And I always imagine what would happen if you just slipped 
trying that out even once. But in our Christian life, we can feel like I'm walking that narrow path and I feel like I will slip. It's too difficult. And that's where we can say with David in Psalm 18, you enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. Psalm 18, 36. No matter what trial you're going through, God's got your back. He's not going to tempt you more than you can endure. He's not going to give you more than you're able to endure either because Jesus himself is with you. And if Jesus is with you, who can be against you? So in conclusion, let's remember that first of all, to count it all joy has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. It can't be something you muster up in yourself. You can't say, I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to try really hard. It has to be God living inside of you who encourages you, builds that fortitude within you. But if it is his work, all you have to do is simply allow its refining process to take place in your life. You just got to let it happen. Just like the vine and the, bran- the, vine and the branches. In order for uh, a branch to produce fruit, it just has to re- uh, abide in the vine. It just has to remain attached to the vine. It's nothing in and of itself that it does things, but it just has to be attached to Jesus. So in the midst of the trials, we might feel like there's no hope. In the midst of your trial, you might feel like there's no way out of it. But remember, first of all, Jesus on the cross. What was the appearance of Jesus on the cross? It looked really good? No. All the disciples are like, oh man, we lost. This is bad. Our Savior just got crucified. They're all really discouraged, weren't they? Satan thought he won. But it was in the appearance of losing that Jesus really won. So maybe you're thinking that this trial that you're going through is just too much. But realize that's in the appearance of losing that you find strength, that you find winning, that you find Jesus. But that's only for those that trust in Jesus. If you don't trust in Jesus today, it's going to be really hard for you to trust in him and count it all joy when we enter trials because there's no one holding you saying, yeah, you're my child and I'm going to make sure this works out for your good. What guarantee do you have that it's going to work out for good? These promises are for his children. But if you are his child today, and if you're not, I encourage you to talk to the leader before you leave. But if you are his child today, remember that we have nothing to lose and everything to gain when we go through a trial. There's nothing that can happen to you that's going to be discouraging in, in the end. There's nothing that Satan can throw at you that's going to defeat you. And we can count even trials joy because it makes us more like Jesus It gives us a fortitude and a peace that the world could never achieve and the world could never give. I mean, think think for a second, think about New Testament martyrs. Can you imagine what it was like for these people, Paul himself being beaten, thrown in prison, stoned for the name of Jesus? Can you imagine? I can't imagine. Can you imagine getting flogged and whipped because you're a Christian? I can't imagine that kind of persecution. But it's in the midst of those trials that Paul says, I rejoice in that. I find joy. I like these sufferings. I like these these whippings because it makes me more like Jesus. Not in and of itself, but because it helps me identify with Jesus' suffering. So no matter if we're beaten or thrown in prison or persecuted, we can count it all joy because we are struck down but not destroyed. Persecuted but not abandoned. I'm going to read you this quote to end a story of one of the most celebrated Roman martyrs. His name was St. Lawrence. 
I'm just going to read you this and then we'll pray. St. Lawrence was a church deacon during the time Emperor Valerian was vigorously persecuting Christians. Lawrence also served as the keeper of, church, of the church's treasures. He was arrested and told that to save himself, he must give the church treasures to the government. Lawrence readily agreed and told the official that it would take at least eight days to assemble them. On the eighth day, Lawrence returned to the prefect and presented him with hundreds of poor and disabled men, women, and children. These, he said, are the riches of the church. The enraged official then ordered Lawrence to be stripped, tied face down on a gridiron, suspended over a bed of coals, coals and slowly cooked to death. Lawrence maintained a cheerful appearance throughout the ordeal and when, he asked, when asked if he had any last request, responded with his last words. His behavior was said to have been so impressive that several Roman senators converted, converted to Christianity on the spot and hundreds of citizens did the same following day. So what was it that he said? His last words as he was being cooked over a gridiron. He said, turn me over, I'm done on this side. It's pretty amazing now. When you count it all joy, you can count it all joy when you're going through various trials. You can have that kind of fortitude. There's nothing that the world can throw at you. They can kill you. They still haven't taken Jesus away from you. There's nothing that you can go through that Jesus won't be by your side in the midst of those trials. And that's how we can count it all joy.